Well, we welcome you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're all very welcome to our worship this evening. And especially those who are visiting with us, you're very welcome uh, to Calvater. Uh, the announcements uh, are, <clears throat> I mentioned this morning about uh, some uh, ministry that the Christian, Wit- Christ- Christian Institute are uh, engaged in over the first week of March. And there's some leaflets on the downstairs tables there if anybody wants more information, information about those special meetings. And I also mentioned this morning how um, uh, from here on in our midweek meeting is going to be at 7.30. Uh, we usually alternate uh, in the winter months, but uh, because of just some of the changes that John's illness has brought in, uh, we're going to uh, keep it at 7.30 all the way through. It just is, it's just better for a number of reasons. Uh, this Thursday evening, our midweek meeting at half seven will take the form of pre-communion. We observe uh, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper next week and then the Thanksgiving service in the evening. Sabbath school at the usual the usual time. And um, I mentioned this morning, uh, Samantha wasn't here, so just to say that uh, the uh, elders had agreed some months ago to have an election of deacons uh, in, on the 17th of March. And, and so um, that's uh, going ahead uh, despite John's absence. And I preached this morning one message on the deacons, and I'll be doing that over the next few weeks. And, um, and then the 17th of March will be an election in the morning time, God willing. And then just those lists that are at each of the doors for the men who are eligible for election uh, to give consideration whether you want your name to go forward. Something that you don't have to rush tonight, uh, but over the next week or two, uh, whether you want to put your name forward or not. I think that's everything. Beloved, grace and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The word of the Lord from Psalm 24, verse 10, uh, reads, Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Amen. Let us worship Almighty God. Let us call upon the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Living through the life of David for a number of months now, and we are at 2 Samuel chapter 10. Second Samuel chapter 10, and we'll read the whole chapter together. And in verse 1, it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died, and Hanan his son reigned in his stead. Then said David, I will show kindness unto Hanan, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. And David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for his father. 
And David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon. And the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanon their lord, Thinkest thou that David doth honour thy father, that he have sent comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city, and to spy it out, and to overthrow it? Wherefore Hanon took David's servants, and shaved off the one half of their beards, and cut off their garments in the middle, even to their buttocks, and sent them away. When they told it on to David, he sent to meet them, because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Tarry at Jericho until your beards be grown, and then return. When the children of Ammon saw it, they stank before David. The children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rehob and the Syrians of Sobah, 20,000 footmen, and of the king Macha, 1,000 men, and of Ishtob, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. And the children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array at the entering in of the gate. And the Syrians of Sobah and of Rehob and Ishtob and Makkah were by themselves in the field. When Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him before and behind, he chose of all the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishai, his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. And he said, If the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. Be of good courage. And let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth him good. And Joab drew nigh and the people that were with him unto the battle against the Syrians. And they fled before him. And when the children of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fled, then fled they also before Abishai and entered into the city. So Joab returned from the children of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. And when the Syrians saw that they were smitten before Israel, they gathered themselves together. And Hadarezer sent and brought out the Syrians that were beyond the river. And they came to Helam. And Shobak, the captain of the host of Hadarezer, went before them. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel. And David slew the men of 700 chariots of the Syrians and 40,000 horsemen and smote Shobak, the captain of their host, who died there. And when all the kings that were servants to Hadarezer saw that they were smitten before Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon anymore. Amen and amen. Uh, last time uh, we looked at this book two weeks ago, I entitled it the chapter, the chapter 9, uh, The King of Kindness. And uh, as we come into chapter 10, I'm going to call it The Kill with Kindness. Uh, I suppose chapter 9 and 10 may be thought of as a set of bookends 
of David's kindness, uh, set opposite each other, in so much as how his kindness is received by one is very different from how it's received by the other. Chapter 9 and chapter 10 is a companion set of the king's kindness. Uh, but not everybody wanted to be a companion or wanted anything to do with David's kindness. The chapter opens by telling us of the king, in verse 1, the king of the children of Ammon died, and Hanon his son reigned in his stead. Now the news of the death of Nahash, we might have expected a response from David along these lines. Good readiness to him. The world is a better place for his departure. Because the Ammonite king, Nahash, was no beauty. He's the same boy. Back in uh, uh, the early days of Saul, right at the very beginning of Saul's uh, entrance upon the kingdom, who led siege against one of the Israelite settlements. And when the outnumbered men of the children of Israel uh, saw that they were outnumbered, outgunned and so forth, they sued for peace terms with Nahash. And his terms, well, they were hardly agreeable. Uh, he sent word back to the men saying, only in this condition that I thrust out all your right eyes and led for a reproach upon Israel. That's the sort of boy that Nahash was. The sort of boy who only had peace terms on condition that he put out the eyes of the men and made a reproach of the children of God. So you'd have thought that there wouldn't have been any tears shed in David's household upon learning of Nahash's death. And there likely wasn't any tears shed at report of it. But neither was there any pleasure in the death of the wicked. Verse 2 tells us what was in David's household whenever he heard word about his death. Verse 2 says, Then said David, I will show kindness unto Hanon, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. Apparently the deceased had done some service unto David previously. We're not told anywhere what that service was, but obviously he had done some favour for David in the past. Most likely the favour was done at that time when David was public enemy number one uh, as far as Saul was concerned. And it would be likely to guess that Nahash uh, assisted David in some way at, at that time. And David never forgot about it. He never forgot the king's kindness. And so, mirroring what was said in chapter 9, verse 7, chapter 9, verse 7, which had respect to Mephibosheth, where David said then, I will surely show kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, because Jonathan his father had been kind to David. I will show kindness to Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake and for Jonathan's kindness sake. You come into chapter 10 and verse 2, and David repeats that, basically. 
he says, I will show kindness unto Hanun for uh, Nahash his father's sake, for his kindness unto me. So there's a parallel going here between chapter 9 and chapter 10, as far as David's concerned. And you can see here uh, how David goes from one kindness to another kindness. The steps of a good man are from one kindness to another kindness. It's all the difference between uh, the type of person who you might say, that's your good deed done for the day. Just one good deed and you've done it for the day. And the type of person who is one good deed leads to another. The difference is there. With the former type of person, it's a sort of a sporadic kindness. Uh, one good deed a day, if that even. A sort of person who even, a, a Nahash, even a wicked king like Nahash, even he can do one good de deed now and again. Or the latter person, someone like David, whose practice is a habitual kindness. A wee bit like Christ. We said of Jesus in Acts chapter 10 verse 38 that he went about doing good. He went from kindness to the next kindness and to the next kindness for 33 or 4 years. That was his manner of going. It doesn't cost, beloved, an awful lot to send a sympathy card or to send a tray of sandwiches or to send a pot of soup to someone on your street who's godless, who's wicked even, who's grieving for the loss of their loved one. It doesn't cost very much at all. But it's something that Christians should think about doing. And that's just a couple of examples. It could be, it could be the godless people a couple of doors up who've, who've had a, a baby brought into the family, the other end of the spectrum. Are there any, any amount of occasions to, to, to show some sort of sympathy, to show some sort of kindness, even for the ungodly, even for the Nahashes and their families of this world? Now, David is not simply here provoking us onto, uh, onto good works. He's not just simply provoking us to put on, as the elect of God, bowels of mercies and kindness, which he does. But that's not only or mainly what he's provoking us onto. Because David here uh, reflects the Lord God who we're told in Ezekiel 33, he speaks himself and says, As I live, saith the Lord of hosts, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. No pleasure in the hannons of this world. If there's no pleasure, well, what does he have? Well, he has kindness. A kindness which extends beyond the borders of Israel to the Ammonites of this world. The type of kindness which sends royal emissaries to the family of those 
dead in Adam. He sends a card, as it were, and on the front, the picture of two stone tablets and the condolences of Moses on the front. And on the inside, the thinking of you that the gospel, that the gospel brings to, the, to this wicked world. God's kindness, which is posted first class, you might say, to them via the prophets, rising up early and sending them. Sending them where? When it's too late? Sending them before man goeth to his long home and the mourners go about the streets. Sending them early before man uh, a silver cord be broken. And saying on to the wicked that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn ye. Turn ye from your evil ways. For why will you die? It's a sympathy card with a twist before there's any death. How beautiful are the feet of them which bring glad tidings of good things because their feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He sends forth his emissaries, his ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you, be ye reconciled to God. God in his kindness sends forth comforters to them that mourn to a world dead and trespasses and sins before they're dead and before they're buried. God's kindness and sending, raising up and sending out preachers to preach the gospel to every, to every creature. The kindness of God. Back at the palace, David's kindness hasn't been received so uh, favorably as it had been by Mephibosheth. In verse 3, we're told that his princes said, Thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father? That he have sent comforters unto thee? Have not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search out the city and to spy it out? And they overthrow it. You and I don't need Matthew Henry to tell us that there's nothing so well meant that it may be ill interpreted. We've all had times when we meant well by some uh, good action, and you've come away misunderstood and you've said to yourself that's all the thanks you get for doing somebody a good turn we've all been on the receiving end of a kind action which backfired in our face and there is the the, the, the possibility that if that happens once or twice that we might just uh, 
by the self-defense mechanism of saying, better not to have bothered in the first place. Why bother? You try to be nice, you try to be kind, it comes back to bite you. What's the point? Why bother? Well, I can tell you why bother. I've already told you why bother. Because it's your Christian duty to be kindness. Whether it's well received or not. Whether it blows up in your face or not. So we're not to allow the kindness we give, bad received, to put us off going and doing kindness the next the next step. But since there is the possibility, just as equally the possibility, that we may not be so much on the receiving end, but on the giving end, that we may be the one who, who, um, uh, who causes somebody's kindness to backfire upon them. And it would do well for us to remember that, that there's a millstone promised for those who Jesus said, who, who shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me? By, by those words, offend one of my little ones, causing offense, Jesus doesn't mean there, by the way, uh, displeasing someone or grieving someone. It's not offend someone in the sense that you displease them or you grieve them. That's not what he's getting at. But rather offend someone in the sense that you'll put a believer off their Christian duty. That you'll make them offend by them not doing what they should be doing. So in this instance, um, by disheartening a brother or by disheartening a sister from any acts of kindness. Because you um, receive their kindness, their good deed, their kindly action with suspicion. Or you misinterpreted it. Or you didn't show the gratitude that you ought to have done. To, to do any of those things, to not be grateful, to be suspicious, to misinterpret it. It has the possibility that it will offend one of Christ's little ones. So it will be slower next time around. To show kindness. Whoso shall offend one of my little ones. From being kind. Because you. Put them off. With your suspicious mind. Or your ungrateful. Disposition. Well. It's something for us to think about. From both sides. David's kindness. Well meant as it was, was thrown back in his face. The very last line of verse 4 says of the emissaries that he sent, that they sent them away. The messengers from David, the king, were sent packing. You know, evangelists, really shouldn't take it personally when they come into a onto a land or onto a town or onto a church or onto a home with the well wishes of the gospel of God and are sent away. 
They shouldn't take it personally. They shouldn't take it personally when they come with the kindness of the gospel and the doors are slammed in their faces. What the evangelist should really do is say, pity you. Not poor me, but pity you. Whenever he attempts to communicate the kindness and love of God our Savior towards men, for that person to, and we've had this experience too, I'm sure you've had it, for somebody just to shut down the conversation immediately. You know what it's like. You've tried to open up a conversation about the gospel and they've just closed it down in no uncertain terms. They've just snipped your gospel witness in the bud before you even got going. Don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. Jesus in Luke chapter 10 verse 16 said, He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that despiseth you, despiseth me. Don't take it personally. This is not, this is not the messenger who's being uh, uh, scorned and rejected. He that despiseth you, is really despising me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. So, uh, don't say, uh, pity me, that I've been uh, sent packing, the door shut in my face. Rather say, pity him, or pity her. Because Jesus says, that whenever our preaching, or our evangelistic Advances are rebuffed. He says in Luke 9, 26 and elsewhere, Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and then his Father's. Pity you, not poor me, when he comes in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pity them, not poor me, because they're the ones who will be uh, punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Not personally. Not poor me. This is the rejection of Christ, of the God, of the gospel. And pity them. So uh, chapter 10. And Hanan's rejection of David's kindness. Is set in stark contrast. To David's kindness in chapter 9. To Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was uh, very forward. And receiving of David's kindness. David's kindness here. Is rebuffed. Offhand. That's how it goes with the gospel. That's how it goes. With the gospel. Those. Who reject. The well wishes. Of the gospel. Of grace. And of mercy. And pardon. Are killed with kindness. They are killed with kindness. How come? Because they treasure us up to themselves 
wrath against the day of wrath because they despise the riches of his goodness, not knowing that the goodness and forbearance of God was meant to lead to repentance. God's kindness in sending forth his ministers and his gospel and his patience killed with kindness away from the presence of the Lord. And you and I, beloved, ought to thank the Lord that one day, by his grace, some preacher or some person told you of God's kindness in Christ. And you heard it. And by God's grace, you received it. Like Mephibosheth. Not like Hannah. You didn't send them away. And perhaps for years, some of us did send them away. Sent them packing. And yet his forbearance. Because he wasn't willing that any should perish. And by and by, you heard and you received. His kindness led you to repentance. Thank God for that. Thank God. We've more in common with Mephibosheth than Hanan. But it wasn't just simply the case that Hanan sent David's adversaries away. Away with you. It was more than that. Far more. Because we're told in verse 4 that he took David's servants and shaved off the one half of their beards and cut off their garments in the middle, even to their buttock, and sent them away. David's sympathy card, as it were, was uh, marked, returned to sender, smeared with the dirtiest thing that they could do. They publicly shamed and humiliated David's messengers. Cut off half of their beards, cut off their garments in the middle, and exposed their buttocks, and sent them away through the city, through the countryside, in that state. They made sport of David's servants. The same way that the Philistines had done with Samson. The same way that the Romans did with our Lord Jesus Christ. They made sport of them. And that really is the way the world operates with the ambassadors of Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9 and following, we are made a spectacle. The Greek word there is theater. We are made a theater. We are made an open show. A spectacle. Who wants to be a spectacle? The apostles and their successors. A spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as filth of the world and are the offscarring of all things unto this day. David was speaking, Paul was speaking on behalf of his guild when he said that's the lot oftentimes of Christ's emissaries. 
Some Protestant reformers were apprehended by the princes of the land and put to the same public shame, humiliated at what was called degradation ceremonies. Degradation ceremonies where they were in similar fashion to David's servants, defrocked. Defrocked. That's really what happened to these men in a sense. They were defrocked. And so it came about the Reformation. These reformers uh, put, were made to put on, whenever they were arrested, made to put on shabby, pitiful imitations of bishops' vestments. And when that was done, they were duly ripped off them and they were torn so that their flesh or parts of their flesh were exposed. Their hands were scratched to signify the removal of the oil of unction that they had received at their consecration. And then they were led out through the crowds, the city, to the stake or to the gallows. Bishop Latimer was one of hundreds of this era and of this elk who suffered public ignominy on the way to the stake. And I signal out Bishop Hugh Latimer because the good bishop presumably was drawing from this chapter here in 2 Samuel verse or chapter 10 and verse 12. Uh, it seems that he was drawing from the words of David's commander, Joab. Whenever Bishop Latimer uh, unforgettably uh, uh, rallied his friend, Bishop uh, Ridley, who was with him in the flames, just as the two of them uh, were beginning to feel the flames lick at their feet. Latimer made that famous uh, words of encouragement to his friend. But Job, let Job speak first. Job, as he and the children of Israel faced with a war on two fronts, an Ammonite and a Syrian confederacy. In verse 6, they all seemed to be there. The children of Ammon saw it, they stank before the children of uh, David, or before David, the children of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rehob, the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 footmen, and of King Makkah, 1,000 men, and of Ishtob, 12,000 men. All the kings come together and set themselves in array against Joab and the children of Israel. This confederacy. And Joab mobilizes the troops and he rallies the troops with these words in verse 12. He says, Be of good courage and let us play the man for our people and for the cities of our God and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. As you read on down through the chapter, David in verse 17 and 18 rides out before the armies at their head. And in verse 17b, they set themselves in array, the enemies against David, and fought with him. 
And the Syrians fled before Israel and David. Now listen to Bishop Radomir in the flames. Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England. I shall never be put out. And so it proved. And so it proved. Latimer and Ridley's candle. Not only was it not put out, but it became a torch. Or better still, their candle became a beacon. A beacon. A beacon illustrating what Second Samuel uh, sets before us. The lesson that we have learned upteen times in the study of David's life. To the point where I'm almost getting, uh, I'm just repeating myself. But that's just what the chapter all invariably ends. And what is it? What's been repeated again and again and here again tonight? Namely, that the king shall build his church even if or especially if the devil throws hell's sink at it. And that's what he is going to do one day. As far as Revelation 16 and verse 14 and following is concerned. One day, all of his opposition... One day he's going to throw hell sink at the church. The kings of the whole world in a confederacy gathered together to the battle of the great day of God Almighty to a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Future tense. And the preacher's job like Joab, is not to put years on God's people with woe is us, woe is us. The preacher's job is to not put fancies into the minds or the heads of the church that the church will be beamed up to heaven just in the nick of time in some secret rapture. But the preacher is to do is to put some steel into the backbones of the people of God against the dead. We're not to play the defeatist. We don't say play the alarmist. We don't say play the fool. We don't say play the big girl's blouse. We say play the man. Quit ye like man and be strong. Is what we're to encourage the people of God with. We're to comfort the people of God with. So that like some battle scene from Mel Gibson's Braveheart. Or from Richard Harris's Cromwell. The captain of the Lord of hosts. With his sword drawn in his hand. Rides up and down the ranks of the church. Militant, arrayed against all the world's secular powers and all the world's false religion, 
And he rallies the troops. And he encourages the troops. And he comforts the troops. And he will say to us, be of good courage. And be strong. Be valiant. Play the man. For our people. And for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth good. And when you leave it like that, that the Lord will do that which is good. Well, what do we really have to worry about? If it's left to the Lord, even if we're killed, we're killed with kindness. Because he'll take us into his presence. Amen. And amen. Let us stand to pray.